Hello, and welcome into episode 12 of the Stomp the Bud <laughs> Stomp the Bud podcast. Stomp the Bus uh, podcast. I'm your host, Mark Harris, along with Colton Dodgson. Colton, how you doing? Oh, I'm I'm surviving, Mark. I think that's what everybody's doing right now. So, uh, I feel that. Yeah, that's that's what I'm up to, man. Yeah, not much has changed at our last uh, call, except for one thing. That would be ASU. I don't want to say firing her in my words because it was weirded we, <laughs> worded oddly in the uh, the release that they sent out. They said they were relinquishing his duties, but. For all intents and purposes, uh, Herm Edwards is fired and it, uh, he's gone. And um, I'll ask you first, what did you think of learning about the news about that on Sunday? Um, I didn't ever expect that move to come like mid-season. It almost feels like if he was that close to being fired, it should have just happened at the end of last year. Um, I agree. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why they even gave him. If all it took was losing, and you should, I mean, I say all it took, but if what it took was losing to Michigan State or uh, Eastern Michigan, I mean, like obviously he had very little wiggle room to begin with. So I don't understand why you don't just make this move at the end of last year. Um, they find their, themselves in a pretty dire situation. I mean, obviously we'll see. I think we're going to get a very – Sean Aguano, I think, is going to get a very um, – he's going to get a fair assessment. He's not going to be yeah. just – because I think the brass at ASU understands the position they're in as well. And to go out and try to pry a top candidate away from a good job, um, trying to pry somebody like a, a, a Jamie Chadwell or somebody like that away from a good situation – to come take over a program that is essentially at the mercy of the NCAA's uh, glacial process. I, I don't think that's really going to work. I think this search is going to be pretty limited. So that sets up well for somebody like Sean Aguano. If he goes out and they, they rally the troops and they have some crazy, even close game against Utah. I don't know. Utah's a 14 point favorite right now. ASU typically plays well against top 25 teams at home. Maybe they rally around Sean Aguano. Who knows? Crazier things have happened, but I think he's going to get a fair shake. Um, and the state of this program right now, the outlook is not great because of that investigation and trying to convince somebody to leave a position to come rebuild a program and rebuild, rebuild them to what? Like, what what are they trying to get back to? Seven wins in a bowl berth? Like, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they've been called a, a sleeping giant for the last 25 years. So it, it's just a weird situation to be in. And I think that sets up really well for a guy like Sean Aguano. Um, I mean, you don't typically see interim guys take over, you know, the job permanently. I don't, I don't think that's a very common thing. We saw it with Ed O, but – um, Jake Dickert last year with Wazoo. Yeah, I guess it's a little more common. Sometimes. Calls, but, um, yeah. I mean, who knows? It's going to be really interesting. But I, I just, in terms of answering the question that you asked, um, it, I don't understand why they didn't just fire him after last year. That That's the confusing part to me. Yeah. My, my reaction to that is like, I agree with you. He should have been gone last year, but it's better late than never. I'm there, there's a world in which ASU like wins that game in a less embarrassing way because they gave, I think they give up over like 300 rushing yards. I mean, I was at the game and it was just Eastern oh, Michigan went, had a you went, to, you went to the Eastern Michigan game? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And Eastern Michigan had a push from the from the jump. And it's like that can't happen against a team that's you know, better than you. And yeah, that first that first drive it felt like they were in trouble. Like it was oh yeah, you could tell immediately. And Eastern Michigan's not even like they hadn't even been that good of a rushing offense before. So it was just a total lack of preparation, um, just desire, whatever cliche you want to throw out there. Uh and I mean they looked respectable against Oklahoma State the week before. Like Oklahoma State had to work for that win. 
And it felt like it was easier for Eastern Michigan to beat us than it was for Oklahoma State. And so, um, better late than never. That's my, that's my thought on it because there is a world in which they just could have pressed forward and fired him after the end of the year. And I would rather, I would so much rather have the Sean Aguano nine games in the Pac 12 play this year than Herm Edwards. And there are already reports of practice like, I was just going to say that. I heard about that this morning, too. Yeah, there were players coming to the media. It's like, oh, we were actually tired after practice today. And, like, oh, my God. I saw that um, people were saying that the pace was the most um, significant difference between Herm and Iguano. Right. Um, I mean, at least he's pushing them. At least he's, like, I don't know, man. Bringing a little bit of new energy, at least. That's And as a fan, that's all you can ask for for the rest of the season. Like, yeah. In terms no, of like judging this season by wins and losses, like it would be great if we got to a bowl game. That would be great, but I just don't. That's going to be tough, especially with these next three games. But um, yeah. So I'm just glad they made the change. And in in terms of getting a new candidate, I I kind of disagree with you on how much the NCAA punishment will like deter people. Like. That still that still needs to be seen. And like the thing is, like, who knows what the NCAA's like power is gonna be. I mean, Arizona basketball still hasn't gotten any official punishment for their I don't even remember what they did, but their like mis misdeeds against the NCAA like four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know. And 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 you say the name Jamie Chadwell, like I get that ASU isn't like there's issues, but pretty much I feel like most group of five coaches would come up. It's just so much more money. Um, yeah, I guess money talks. That's the, the the thing with Chadwell is like, would he rather just stay in the South or something? Who knows? Um, yeah. I mean, so I, I don't want to. We have coaching lists, and there are a lot like there are a lot of coaches on these coaching lists that are in other like good jobs right now. You see Kalani Sataki getting thrown around. I don't think he's going to end up being the ASU head coach, but it's not like people are throwing around like, uh, link, uh, you know, Lincoln, Lincoln Riley or Kyle Whittingham. It's, you know, it's people that are realistic options. <laughs> um, yeah. so, but you mentioned Iguano. I, I think that, um, I think that Iguano honestly could be the right person for this job. Like, and like by job, I mean like official ASU head coach entering uh, next season because one, he knows all the high school coaches and that is so important. Um, I recommend everyone listen to the most recent episode of speak of the devils. Ralph Amsdom is on there and he kind of explains how just backwards the mentality was with the ASU staff under Herm Edwards in recruiting um, kids from Arizona. And it showed. And one of the things that, that – there's just better Arizona talent um, in the high school level than there was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Like, uh, whether it's people moving here, um, just a higher emphasis on it, just better coaching, whatever it is, there's just better talent. And ASU has signed like so few of those kids and you don't even need to sign all of them. You can even, if you even get like five Arizona kids per class, that's still like is much more than you were getting before. And you're making relationships with the high school coaches, which the previous staff apparently didn't really do that much, which blows my mind. And so Guano already has those relationships having worked in Arizona high school football for as long as he has. Um, or as long as he did, I guess. I think with this yeah, recruiting, and one, sorry, I just want to add this. One thing about Aguano is, uh, I didn't know this, but when I, you know, I moved to Arizona in 2014. Um, you know, haven't been here for super long, but uh, during my time here, Chandler has been the number one just powerhouse high school, mm-hmm. and I kind of always thought it was that way. But apparently, like, it kind of started getting that way once Aguano got there. And yeah, like Guano got there, I want to say in 2010, he was working there. Um, or 2009, 2010, I think. Cause I remember that was the year I, I've lived here my whole life. I went to Centennial High School and they played, uh, 
I remember Centennial played Brett, uh, Brett Hundley and Chandler and mm. Chandler was like on like huge then. Um, so I would say right around 2009, 2010, which correlates with, I'm just going to look it up to be sure, but that correlates with when Sean Aguano got there. So, I mean, right. that's definitely something to take note of as well, his ability to build that. And I mean, you cannot overstate how important it is. Um, yeah, got to Chandler. He was a Chandler assistant coach from 2001 to 2010. Okay. Uh, took over, took over as head coach in 2011. And then, uh, 2011 to 2018, he was the head coach at Chandler. Uh, um, yeah. and then got the job at ASU in 2019 coaching running backs. And I mean, running backs has been our best position. That's what I'm saying. That's what I was about to say. This might be one of the oh, more like obvious facts to state, but I mean, maybe it's not a coincidence that running back is, has been the best position group on this roster since Herm Edwards has been here. Um, and that's what Sean Aguano has been coaching. So that's obviously good. Um, but yeah, you can't overstate the importance of those relationships with those high school coaches around Arizona. Arizona is not a lackluster pipeline for air, high school oh, football talent oh. at all. So I think the days of ignoring, or I guess not ignoring, but not prioritizing Arizona on the level of a Texas or a California, the recruiting strategy has to sort of be rebuilt. The scope at which you're recruiting has to be rebuilt. And if you're going to rebuild, rebuild it with Arizona at the, the center, with Arizona being the focus, Aguano is a very good guy to do that under. Um, and I think that might not be a bad strategy. Obviously, he's in a position now where, where he kind of has to go take this job. You know, he's got to be yep. so good that they can't go out. Maybe he's got to force their hand, so to speak. Yep. For them to be like, okay, maybe the best. And that'd be great. And that'd maybe be we great. go back to our roots. Maybe we, we rebuild this with a guy like Aguano. And if, or we attempt to, and if he falls flat on his face, at least maybe it's a year or two. We have some sanctions handed down. We're on the other side of that. If that's something that deters people, who knows the, the level of impact that that has. Um, but I mean, that, that's the worst case scenario. Maybe Iguano isn't the guy. You let him coach for a few years to get through this. Um, and I mean, you're on the other side. You can launch a full scale sort of search for a coach. Um, but I, I feel very optimistic, um, about Iguano. I just everything that I've heard. Um, his background, everything that I've seen. Obviously, I, I mentioned I I grew up in Arizona, so um, it, it's cool to see somebody rise up through the collegiate ranks and or not collegiate but uh, high school ranks and get to that point and have an opportunity like this. So I, I hope he takes it and he runs with it. And based on everything that I've heard, I think he might. Yeah. No. Like honestly, like I was so happy when I found out the interim coach was a Guano because like. This is actually someone I could see, like, growing into this role and has the capabilities to grow into this role and actually, like, take it, take it even further from there. Right. Um, he's like a stopgap guy that is, has yeah. a chance to win this yeah. job. Yeah. Um, and very family oriented. Um, I mean, he, he released a whole, uh, statement on the ASU, uh, Athletic Department website. I recommend everyone read it. It's on his Twitter page. Um, it's it's pretty like it's pretty um, authentic. Like it's very much like him saying, "Hey, like." And he also acknowledged why like so many of the fan base was upset because he's like because we care, you know, and that's why there was some people booing at the game on Saturday because it was a very bad performance. And um, personally, like I don't think you should boo college kids, but that's a different discussion. But uh, He's just very family oriented. And another thing that I'm just going to relay what he said on the um, podcast, because Ralph has been covering him forever uh, and knows him. He basically said, like, yeah, it's very family oriented, but he's also like he doesn't put up with a bunch of shit either. Like, whereas Herm Edwards and for the re and like Dennis Erickson, too, like Herm Edwards and Dennis Erickson are so similar in their tenures at ASU, where you actually you, you do have some talent at points and you and you do win some games. But the. uh discipline is just not there at all and the penalties are all over the place and 
you don't know what ex- what to expect game to game. Um, Todd Graham, you mostly knew what you expected game to game. It wasn't always good, <laughs> especially towards the end when the defense was bad. But uh, so um, I I think he's a great interim candidate, and I think that look if he has like if he let's say he goes six and three in the Pac-12 this year, then you're thinking okay like maybe we should keep him, you know? Yeah. No, it's it's good that he gets. It's good that it's not just like we're elevating Sean Aguano for the territorial cup, and then that's kind of it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's good that he retired early on, so he gets a full look. Um, and like I I I hope he runs with it. I mean, I'm excited to see what happens with Utah on Saturday. I crazier things have happened. You see this all the time, where it's like. A team just yep. rallies and, and somehow pulls something off. I don't think they're going to be Utah. I remember two episodes ago we were talking about how the Utah game was setting up to be compelling, um, just kind of assuming that ASU was going to beat Eastern Michigan, and we should not. And, and you know what? We correct. We like. I don't care that they lost. We were right to assume that they shouldn't beat them. Like nobody right. was. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not blaming us. I'm just saying. Right, right. I would never blame us. We're never wrong. Um, <laughs> But I'm just saying it's the it's it's compelling, but it's for a completely different reason now. There's no sort of success based expectation. It's more right. what is going to happen with this group. How are they going to look? How are they going to rally around the new coach? How is the coaching staff going to rally around this guy? Um, yep. And I was listening to yep. I think it was Bickley and Murata. That's the only uh, show I, I listen to on Arizona Sports, but. Uh, Bickley and Murata were talking about how or they were playing the, the presser, I think, and I heard Aguano talking about how uh, all of his coaches were already in the building at 530 in the morning. Like, they all beat him there, and they're all, like, super dialed in and, and ready to go. And it, it seems like um, it seems like it, it, they've almost been rejuvenated a little bit. Obviously, I mean, Herb is, like, a good guy, I guess, but maybe he was yeah, kind okay. of checked out. <laughs> Yes, and here's the thing, like, I've heard so many people, and Herm is a good guy, like, I'm not, like, disputing yeah. that, like, he is a, like, people swear by Herm, like, he's a great guy, not disputing any of that, 100% believe it, but when I hear, when I hear people talking about Herm the last few days, so many, so often, that's the first thing that comes up, and we're not, you're not, like, being a college football coach isn't just about being a good guy, like, is Nick Saban the best guy in the world? No. He's he's I don't think he's like a terrible person. Urban Meyer is the best example of that. Exactly, Urban Meyer. Like we just talked about him. Yeah. Art Bryles, terrible person, but he knew how to scheme up an offense. Not yeah, advocating for Bryles. That, you kind of have to walk that line between like yeah. being a good guy and and holding your players accountable. Yes. Um and demanding a certain level from them. And the Guano could do that. Yeah, and because maybe Todd Herman. Graham is too far on the other side. He's right. That's that's exactly what I was thinking today. Was finding a medium between Herm Edwards and Todd Graham might be exactly what we need at this point. I think yeah. he went way too far. I think he went with the antithesis of Todd Graham with the Herm Edwards hire. So maybe you dial back the the that you dial that back just a little right. bit and find a guy that's kind of in the middle, and maybe Iguano's that guy. And I think yeah. So one one um, one more thing I heard about Aguano from uh, Speak of the Devils, and Ralph was saying that Aguano is like gonna going to like prioritize recruiting in these months coming up, um, and try to flip some kids. So hopefully, and here's the other thing: like if Aguano doesn't get the full time job, he might still be on staff. You know. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, maybe he'll get an offer to coach like a Mountain West school or something. I can see that happening too. But, um, I mean, yeah, like I think we're both in agreement that he's a perfect interim coach. There is like potential, there is like a real world way you can convince yourself into thinking, oh, I can see how this would work. Um, Because the thing with college coaches, there's not, there's not one way that works in terms of hiring them. There's not like, there's no magic secret, you know. There, there are some general guidelines, like don't hire someone who had been in the who had been out of the college game for 30 years and hadn't coached 
uh, in 10 years and was your buddy. Like, don't do that. Um, but even then, like, in terms of wins and losses, Hermit had a 26-20 and 20 record as a coach, which isn't that great, but it's also respectable. Not terrible, yeah. Sense. I mean, yeah, especially exactly. when you consider, I mean, coming into this season, 25 and 18, right? Right, yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, he, he obviously had fallen off, and it, it was evident after last season. But I think when I when I heard about this and the Herm era kind of ended or whatever, I just kept thinking about 2020 and, like, the roster that they had put together in 2020. I know. And everything sort of shaping up for that to be the year that – it all manifested in the right way and, and things started to come together. And then like, what would that season look like? I, I started playing the what if game and you can't do that. It's over. You're never going to know. It's hard but, not to. Yeah. It, it's what would it, that look, it's have hard not like to. If they got a normal slate. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm just thinking of last year, it's hard not to play the what if game when, uh, who got drafted? Rashad White got drafted, DJ Davidson, um, Jack Jones, Chase Lucas all got drafted. And then Darian Butler and Curtis Hodges made the 53-man roster right away as uh, unrestricted. Wait, did Curtis Hodges make the commanders? He, 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 as far as I know, he made the, the, the initial 53-man roster, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know so, that. Yeah, sometimes tight ends can kind of sneak in because they, they, they always want to have three tight ends and maybe he's a good blocker, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, he was, he was pretty good last year, but – uh, you have those guys make the league. You have other guys sign in practice squad. And then, oh, by the way, you also have Ricky Peelstall at Florida, Johnny Wilson at Florida State, finally learned how to catch. Uh, <laughs> he, he was a monster against yeah, uh, I know. Because Louisville, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, he was – some of the plays that guy was making, it's, it's sad that he's not doing yeah. that. For and Jaden Daniels at LSU, LSU he's – He's still been Jaden, like, he still has the fault flaws of Jaden Daniels, but Jaden Daniels is still, like, a solid college football quarterback. He's, he's clutch, man. I, yeah, he that is. That first game against Florida State, his, him leading that That's back, when he was the best, obviously, yeah. like, obviously, it was the missed extra point, or the extra point was blocked and all that, but that final drive and his ability to lead them back, that's what he used to do with, with ASU, too. Yeah. That's kind of his, his bread and butter is, is those yeah. clutch – He's better. He's he's a weird quarterback because he's like better late in games than he is just like in the second quarter, and he's like doesn't see a wide open guy over the middle of the field or something. You know, yeah. it's like it, it, it's he's kind of like a college football Russell Wilson or something. Yeah, you know? no, it's crazy. Um, um, yeah, and I was I was just thinking because I was thinking about Jaden Daniels and like how he was sort of hyped up as one of those NFL guys a few years back, and he was kind of in that class with. Like, I remember Spencer Rattler was a favorite for, like, number one overall after, yeah. what was it, like, 2019 or whatever. Um, and that, dude, what a fall from grace for Spencer Rattler. That's that's crazy. I, who yeah, they- I mean, he, he's still start. He, I mean, he's still a starting quarterback. So, I mean, you can't, like. No, I know. But, so like, much. going yeah. from possible number one overall pick oh, yeah. to relative yeah. obscurity, like. Yeah. I mean, maybe he shouldn't have done that Netflix show. He lost a lot of supporters with that. Nobody really likes the guy after that. He's kind of like yeah. a draft day where nobody went to the poor guy's birthday party. Yeah, that was a tough. That was a tough watch watching that. Yeah, uh, when it came not out, the it was, best dude. I don't think maybe he's grown well, up a little bit. That was in high school. Maybe he's grown up, yeah. but that was not a good look. No. Uh, anyway, enough Spencer Rattler talk. Yeah, that was kind uh, of a detail. My bad. No, podcasts cool, are supposed to be concise and to the point. Um, yeah. So anyway, we like the Iguano decision. Um, I think this game on Saturday. I think, look, I think there's a lot of Sun Devil fans that weren't going to go to a game until Herm was fired. <laughs> like, just straight up. And so I think it'll be a pretty decent atmosphere, uh, especially since it's pretty easy for Utah fans to get down here too. So that'll uh, play a factor in it too. And you know, maybe that's just that's just what the team needs. They just want to, you know, play. And I don't think this year's Utah team is as good as last year's Utah team. No, uh, I don't think so either. They're they're they don't have the element of like 
oh, we're sort of the the come out of nowhere team anymore either. They have the target on their back this yeah. year. Um, obviously, I don't think the roster's as strong. Because you, cause you um, lose uh, Lloyd, who's killing it in the NFL, and then Covey. That's what I was going to say. Guys, birds. Yeah, uh, future Hall of Famer, Brayton Covey, uh, Eagles punt returner. But I even Covey, like you say Covey and you're like, oh, okay, Brayton Covey, whatever. But his sort of contributions on special teams gave that team an entirely new element. Like, Dude, he was, he, yeah. He was so good as a punt returner, and that might seem insignificant, but there was so many games – where yeah. that was sort of the difference was a Britain Covey putt return. And an adventure swing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's big. I mean, Cam Rising is he's fine, but he's not yeah, he's a, a good world beater. Player, but no, yeah, he's yeah. not a world beater or anything like that. I mean, it, he, they're not they're not immortal. Obviously, Florida proved that. Like they're not they're not unbeatable. You can beat them. And it's gonna be. I'm ch- I want to check the weather real quick for Saturday. I can promise you this. It's going to be 100 degrees as a high, so that means that when it kicks off that night, it'll be like in the 90s. It's still going to be hot. So and I will, the, the, the nosebleeds are going to be a party on Saturday, so get ready for that if you're going to the game. 100%. That's where all, that's where all the true fans sit. Yeah, that's um, where it will be. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, like the Iguano decision, Herm um, – I just, yeah, I mean, I, I saw a tweet that pr- described it pretty well from uh, Ralph Russo from the AP. It, it went along the lines of, like, Herm Edwards, it seemed like a bad hire at the time. Then it looked a little better, but then it fell off, and in the end he didn't even do as much as Todd Graham. And it's like, yep. <laughs> you know, like, there were definitely times where it was looking up, and it wasn't like – the recruiting ratings didn't lie, you know? 2020 was probably the apex going into, like, right yeah. before COVID hit, I feel like 2020 was, like, the year. Like, 2020 was the peak of, like, yeah. I would say, like, the Because 2019 was freshman Jaden, you win the Sun Bowl. Yeah. You beat Oregon. It was clearly, like, okay, we're building, like, but. Yeah. And then all of that stalls with the, the COVID year. And, I mean, obviously yep. – you shouldn't recruit. And then COVID. during COVID, you make the wrong yeah. decisions. That's yeah. I I would say the apex of the Herm Edwards year or era was probably the end of 2019, early 2020, before absolutely before March. Everybody was was feeling really good. So I mean, who knows what would have happened before then? Like around that point, I don't think anybody would have called this hire like a failure. I think the downfall no. was. Obviously, the recruiting violations, all of the coaches leaving as a result. Uh, the exodus through the transfer portal, the undiscipline, and or, yeah, the lack of discipline and accountability among players, and then random no shows and games like the yeah. the second half in Salt Lake City last year. That was I wanted crazy. thirty for thirty of every minute in that locker room last year because I want to know did what did did someone like sacrifice an animal? Just I don't know what happened. You know, it was completely different. Yeah, I think uh, that year that Utah had last season is definitely the year that ASU could have had in 2020. And even last year they could have had that season. Like, it wasn't out of the realm of possibility, but here we are. Um, Everybody leaves, coaches are fired, and now Herm's gone. It's kind of like it's kind of like you have to rebuild a house while it's still on fire. Like, that's what it feels like, but – We'll see. It, it, it'll be interesting. Um, I, I want to – one more thing before we kind of get into who the possible candidates could be, um, or really some of the candidates that are being uh, thrown around and reported. Market. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being like unmitigated success and 1 being just complete awful, where would you put the Herm Edwards tenure? Hmm. I think if you would have asked me after the 2019 season, I'm – I'm telling you, it's like right around an eight. I think I was very, very confident going into 2020. Um, mm-hmm. With everything that happened and the, the nature of the collapse, I think the the apex felt pretty good. So I can't say like a one because of that, but the way it's not that, a one. 
the the way that it all fell apart though is is really really detrimental and it's been I I would say it's probably around a four for me. Just with yeah, the, way that, the way that it all crumbled, I, I think yeah. you can't really rate it any higher than that because of all of the variables going. There we are. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. What about well, you, Mark? Yeah, no, I I I give it a three out of ten. For the reasons, oh, yeah. You didn't want to give it a four. So, you wanted it to be slightly worse than me. Just give it a four. Three and a half. How's that? All right, whatever. I'll round up. Anyway, Mark said four. Anyway, the good thing is whether there's punishments coming down the line. Personally, I think it's. I think there might be some, but I just don't think it's going to be super detrimental. That's just my personal opinion. Um, they might have to sit out a sit out of a bad boys mower bowl. <laughs> exactly. They'll get back into the mediocre bowl scene the next season. One less trip to El Paso. Yeah. Uh, so, but anyway, the Herm Edwards era is done. That's like, that's the that's the only good thing about that loss is like it it forced Michael Crow's hand, um, and Ray Anderson, whoever actually made the decision, um, it's because it, it might have been Crow because he he spoke with the he he quote he was quoted in the Republic. Saying like, basically giving him a vote of non-confidence the day before, and then he was fired the next day. So um, yeah, and then they had that little powwow on the. Uh, but they do that every okay. They they do, do that they do every that? okay. Day. I haven't yeah. seen it, but if they do it, I'm like I I don't know. And people think that he got fired on the field. I don't think that happened. Oh, like, I don't think that happened. I I was just sort of like yeah. it was it was interesting. I, I mean, even if they do it's it, it's a great every, video. Yeah, even if they do something like that after every game, I wonder what that specific conversation was like. Well, yeah, no, you could you could just tell by the body language it was like more yeah. tense than usual. So yeah. Anyway, less of those because um, now we've got there have been so many candidates thrown around. Um, but before we go any further in this conversation, what I want out of a next ASU coach is two things. I want them to be offensive minded. That is number one because this team, like the offense, was not that effective <laughs> really ever during the Herm Edwards era, and he would make awful like fourth down decisions and kicking punting decisions and all that, coaching like it's 2002 in the NFL. So offensive and someone who understands and prioritizes Arizona recruiting. And if you do that, then other recruiting will come. Because if you understand, then you'll be able to connect with other kids as well. But not what the last staff did and just try to be like, oh, we're getting California kids. Screw you. you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, so that's who I want. Um, let's start with the let's start with the heavy hitters first. Um, of these three, one of them I know like isn't going to happen, and the other two. I think there's maybe like a 10% chance of each, and that would be Urban Meyer, uh, Matt Rule on the Panthers, and then my personal favorite of all the coaches, uh, primetime, Deion Sanders at Jackson State. Um, I don't think, I don't think Urban's getting hired here. I don't, but I figured just bring him up. Um, Matt Rule, I would love it. You know? Yeah, I, I think. He's one of those guys, you see it all the time. I mean, Nick Saban's obviously the most prominent example, but guys who go up to the NFL and don't make it come back down and have success, right? Yeah. Um, and Matt Rule could definitely be one of those guys. Obviously had a ton of success at Baylor. And when he was hired over from Temple, I mean, Baylor was also in shambles. So much it, worse. Yeah. 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 It's not, in, it's not unfamiliar territory to him. But I also yeah. feel like somebody like Matt Rule, although his NFL tenure is not something that a lot of people are going to look at and be blown away by, he's obviously 0-2 and, and lost, what is it, his last nine games? Like, he's, yeah. he's not, he's not really cut out for the NFL, I don't think, but is ASU going to be the team that's able to swoop up Matt Rule you don't necessarily yeah, see that's the question he's high pro I think he might be 
if he's fired from Carolina, and that seems like a pretty strong light, it seems like that could be pretty likely. Um, is Arizona State the team that's out in front and able to pique his interest? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but as you know, yeah, go oh, ahead. Yeah. What were you going to say, Mark? Oh, no, I said I was telling you to keep going. Oh, okay. My bad. Um, I was just going to say, obviously, he's the guy who's who's been in this spot before with a program who's not nece- that's not necessarily um, in the midst of something great. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it, it's not unfamiliar territory to him, which I think is the most interesting part about Matt Rule. So, I mean, if, if ASU's able to pull it off, that would be great. I just – you know, they're not necessarily the team that you look at and think, oh, yeah, they're going to go out and get one of the most prominent names from the coaching cycle. Right. Because Matt Rule will definitely be that if he's fired, which he probably right. will be. Well, and ASU can offer more money than what, like, like we talked about with Jamie Chadwell. ASU can offer substantially more money than Coastal Carolina. Right. But, it, you know, but, like, the Pac-12, ACC, and Big 12 schools are all in that kind of boat. But then the bigger boat is the Big Ten schools and the SEC schools. And one Nebraska is already yeah. open. And right. Auburn is probably going to come open pretty soon. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I don't think those, money – after the contract Matt Rule signed in Carolina, I don't think money is going to be much of an issue for him. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not going to have to throw those are also money jobs. at him. ASU. Right. I think he's going to want to go to the best situation. Um, like, he's going to have a lot. Yeah, he's going to have a lot of leverage in terms of like picking where he wants to go. There's probably going to be some sort of buyout. Um, his contract was for six years. I think he's what in his second season. Third in the NFL, third season. So there's probably going to be some sort of buyout in that contract if he's fired. I don't know. Being able that's to true. Woo, that is true. woo him with money is not going to be something. That's why I don't know if this is going to happen because he's going to have his pick of all of the jobs. I think. I think he's yeah. going to be sort of the name in the coaching sir or in, the, in this. Uh, if he even gets cycle. fired too. If yeah, the I mean, they, he probably their two losses have been close. Like I'll, I'll I will say that this year. But right, but overall, I don't yeah, know I, I guess, but I don't really see them turning that around anytime no, soon. I don't um, yeah, I, I I think this is his last year. Even if even if he does win a couple games, like I don't know. Right, it, 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 this might be his last year. And if it is, I think he's going to be a pretty. Uh, he's going to be one of the first names that teams are targeting. Uh, who are looking for a head coach. And because of that, I'm not sure if ASU is positioned to go out and land somebody like Matt Rule. But if they can pull it off, I think it would be an incredible hire. He has the track record of, you know, building these programs. So I would love it. Is it possible? I don't know. Right. Well, they should definitely try. They should definitely try. Um, yeah, Mark, they should definitely try. Uh, I will say that Nebraska and Auburn, while I do think they're better jobs, they do have their own sets of challenges that ASU does not have. Like, ASU has different challenges than they do. Like, Nebraska's challenge is, like, getting them back over the hump to just being, like, a respectable team. Like, look, we complain about ASU. ASU went 8-4 last year, and they went, yeah. like, 7-5 and five the year before that, and Nebraska has just been in the wasteland for the past – I mean, they haven't even gone like six and six in the past five, six years. You know, you know? that's yeah, that's a good point. And, I think and Auburn, great. um, I mean, they haven't even come open yet. But Auburn, yes, they have high end potential, and they're in a great recruiting area. But their booster situation is crazy. You know, they're like they tried to get Harson fired for like a rumor over the, this winter. It's like. I, I could see a lot of coaches turning down like a two two million dollar difference per year in money to be somewhere else, you know. Right. Yeah. You want that job security and you don't want people, you know, like that's that's a terrible situation to be in too. And I you know, that brings up a good point and that's something I didn't consider is maybe for somebody like Rule, who just made the leap to the NFL, didn't work out, he's coming back. 
maybe he's not super eager to jump out and lead a team. ASU flies a little more under the radar, right? They're not like, you know, one of these prominent programs like in Nebraska who year after year everybody's like – Nebraska is clowning on them recently. Yeah, and they're always held to such a high standard. Right. And the goal is, like, when is Nebraska going to get back there? Obviously, Auburn is the same thing, playing in the the SEC and everything like that. Maybe Matt Rule wants to take on, like, more of a low-key challenge. You know, maybe – and obviously his his hiring would bring the spotlight, I think. But – it's not really that. It wouldn't inherent. bring that big of a spotlight, though. Like it's That's still what I'm like saying. It's, it's, it's not like that he, sexy. No, I, but in NFL, a former NFL coach who's had a ton of success at the college level, like yeah, you're gonna, people are going to want to see what he does. But what I'm saying is, there's not necessarily the inherent expectations that would come with a Nebraska for whatever reason. I don't know why they still right. have the expectations that they do, but they do. Or like in Auburn, right? You, you wouldn't have to immediately start to this. This would be a longer term project, I think, at ASU, and he'd have a little more runway to do it. Um, so hopefully, right. maybe that's something that they can use in negotiations if it gets to that point. And Matt Rule is somebody that they ultimately decide to try and target. That could be that could be a possible yep. angle that they look at. Yep. Um. So we'll see. I look, it would be great if we got Matt Rule. The other big fish, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders. This is absolutely who I want if we can get him. Um Where's he where's he at? Are you looking at like a list or are these just your, your Well, these list? three no, no, he he's not on the list I sent you, which we'll talk about. Um, okay. I saw But Rule he's just been I I will send you an article and I think I retweeted on the Stomp the Bus Twitter account. Uh Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports. He said Deion Sanders should be the number one coaching target of all schools and that ASU should hire him. And his point is, like, ASU – like, he's basically saying ASU could be, like, a, a poor man's version of the U, where, like, you make it fun, you make it, like, crazy – whatever. You just – you have an energetic offense. You do – you know, you celebrate in the end zone and whatever. And and having Coach Prime would be, like, awesome. I don't know if it will happen – the thing that the, the thing that gives me hope though is he interviewed, and this is in the article. He interviewed for TCU in Arkansas this last hiring cycle, and so that would be interesting. And could you like, could you see Deion Sanders at Nebraska? I could not see that. That would just be a weird fit. Yeah, um, I, agree. I could see him more at Auburn, but does he want to deal with the boosters? You know, and ASU's boosters are probably a lot more lax than. I mean, not probably, they are, <laughs> uh, compared to those two schools. So yeah. that's a factor as well. And he played in the NFL. It's not like money is going to be the only thing that matters to him, and maybe he stays at Jackson State. But, uh, yeah, so just wanted to throw yeah. Dion in there. That's my number one choice if we can get him. That would be awesome. And it seems like he's at least open to entertaining other opportunities. He's not, like, um, super, like, I'm not going anywhere. Right. I'm not leaving Jackson State, that sort of thing. So that's good. Um, and that would be awesome if you could get him. I think, like, what they tried to do with Herm Edwards is what they could actually do with yes. the Yes. Um, yes. So, the, obviously, don't try to do any sort of new leadership model or anything like that. No. No, Let's go no, with no. a standard leadership model. Let's not reinvent the wheel this time around. Obviously, that didn't work out. But Let's not brag like crazy before nothing gets done. Right, exactly. Um, but like what they thought that they were going, what they thought the allure of Herm Sanders was going, or Herm, <laughs> Herm Edwards. No, I get your point. Yeah. What they thought the allure of Herm Edwards was going to be is actually going to be the allure of Deion Sanders. Guys are going to want to come and play for somebody like Deion Sanders, and. I mean, I think we've all seen the videos of, of his rules for the first day of class and all of that stuff. Like, I think that accountability and that, that expectation would be set from day one. He's, he's not, he freaks out about, uh, phones in the locker room, all of that stuff. I think distractions and discipline and all of that stuff would be at the forefront of, of his mind. I think he'd be a great fit here. I would um, love it. Again. Yeah. Falls into that category of like 
can it happen? I think it's – I honestly think Deion Sanders might be a little more possible than Matt Rule. Um, yeah. But we'll you see. I think, I think it's another great name, and he's already yeah. in college football, so it's not like you have to woo him out of retirement or anything like that. He's got the proven track record already yep. at Jackson yep. State. Yep. Just like the number two recruit in the country. Yep. Um, so obviously yep. recruiting is, is where it needs to be. Um, and – what if what if you do something like Deion Sanders head coach Sean Aguano offensive coordinator? Oh, that's not yeah. like that. That would yeah. be pretty cool. Um, so I want to go through. We have a list here. This is on two four seven sports top yeah. candidates to replace Herm. Already talked about Matt Rule. Um, number two guy on this list, Kenny Dillingham. So this this if you would ask me a week ago. If I wanted Kenny Dillingham, who's the Oregon offensive coordinator, as ASU head coach, I would have said no. But I've learned a little bit more about him over the past week, and he was on Todd Graham's staff. He was a volunteer GA, um, and he's a good offensive mind. And apparently, I was listening, you know, listen again. I'll, I'll credit Ralph Amson on this. He apparently knows all the high, Arizona high school coaches really well, and has good connections with them. And so, I mean, he kind of fits my mold of good Arizona recruiter and offensive mind. The problem is he doesn't have any coaching experience, but again, maybe that's just not incredibly important to have, you know, there's no one way to do it. Right. And he's, I mean, obviously I'm looking at this, this little article he's from here, um, the old money crowd, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And they're, and they're quoting Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source in the 247 article just to. Yeah. That's what Cartman's take. Um, so that could be good with boosters and, and NIL yeah. that Cartman is talking about right here. Um, kind of a different angle from the, you know, like getting players to come in. What we were just talking about with Deion Sanders and stuff like that. This right. is more of the like NIL. This is a guy who could help with like boosters and that sort of thing. Um, so that would be good. I mean, Anytime, I feel like anytime you see Oregon offensive coordinator, you're instantly like, oh, yes, Oregon. They're great at offense, that sort of thing. That's sort well, of been. He's also, he's also recruited at FSU and Auburn, too. Yeah. This dude, that's. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I see that. And then. And he's the quarterback he's guy. Too. He's already worked for. He's already coached here under Mike yeah. Norvell. So. He's from uh, Arizona. Yeah, no, I mean, I, it seems like a pretty good fit there too. That would be that would be interesting. I'm sure he would be interviewed if they got to that point. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he'd be bad. I I agree with you in the sense that I think Matt Rule and Deion Sanders should be like the two names that are really emphasized, one A and one B. Um, but just from what I'm reading, obviously, I don't know a ton about Kenny Dillingham. I'm not watching all 22 for Oregon. Or anything like that, but just based on the background and what I'm reading, I don't think it seems like a pretty a pretty interesting fit. So, I mean, in the in the tweet that they have the two four seven sports analyst below saying, "quote If I were hiring, I would look at Kenny Dillingham." So it's like, all right, like all these people know all the recruiting stuff more than Colton and I do, you know. And so sometimes yeah. you can just trust these people's opinion. Um, and but always, but always come to us first. Exactly. Uh, quarterback guy, that's big. That is absolutely big. Because yeah. Todd Graham wasn't a, Todd Graham was a defensive guy. Herm Edwards, defensive guy. Dennis Erickson, I don't even know, but he was just super old when he came here. So, whatever. He might as well have been a defensive guy. Uh, I want to see, like, if ASU is going to be a mediocre, like, seven and five, eight and four sort of team, I want, want them to start to losing games. I want them to start losing games, like, 49 to 42. You know what right. I'm saying? Like, I want them to put a. I want them to be like a Texas Tech of like Cliff Kingsbury or Texas Tech, like something like that. You know what I'm saying? I yeah, and, that, like, and, and and exactly that's my point. Like that's why I want an offensive coach because either you become you you become a team that goes like ten and two, nine and three on a more consistent basis, and you're competing for Pac-12 titles or Pac-10 yeah. titles. You become kind of just a, a a level above where you are right now. Or if you just kind of stay at the level you are at, the games are going to be at least more exciting. And that matters, especially for the Arizona State fan base, which is like average among 
all college football fan bases. And some might say that's generous. Some might say that, but I'm just saying they're average. Um, it's not the most plugged in. You're in a pro sports market, uh, tons of mediocre football in recent memory. So there hasn't been like a one lightning rod year, like 1996 to capture people. Uh, and that, and again, and that's why you lean into offense because it puts butts in the seats and that matters. That helps with recruiting too. And, and, and if you have an offensive approach, then guess what? Uh, all there's so many quarterbacks in the Valley and there's so many wide receivers and skill guys in the Valley. And, and there's yeah. obviously plenty in California as well. And if you just lean into those positions, you can be good, you know, yeah, and then you definitely. build on it from there. I think, I think, Whoever takes over this job needs to overhaul the recruiting strategy. Well, yeah, that's, I, I yeah. think Arizona needs to be the focus. There can't be a strategy predicated around, oh, we're ASU. We're going to get Arizona kids off of that alone. Like, no, that needs yeah. to be, that's not that the is case. Not how it works. That's not that the is, case. Yeah. Somebody that, needs to come in here and make Arizona high school football the focus for recruiting. And, and relationship I, with coaches. Right. So when there's these guys coming out, like, you know, I, I think back to the year where Nikhil Harry, Byron Murphy, and Chase Lucas all came out. And uh, I think it was Todd Graham went two for three on those guys. Got Chase Lucas and Nikhil Harry to come to the ASU. Missed and, on Byron and Murphy. Take that. Yeah. That's that's the type of thing that should yep. be happening. I I think back to when we were covering the team and the the big Arizona recruits at that time, like Christian Kirk, um, Connor Murphy. At was least we were one. in the mix with him. It, it yeah, was, Christian, it Christian Kirk. I'm pretty sure ASU was like a top three pick for Christian yeah. Kirk, right? So yeah. like, so getting back to that point where somebody like Kirk, who is now one of the highest paid receivers in the NFL, whether that's warranted or not. Um, (laughs) You need to be like in the mix with those guys. And at least Todd Graham was, he, he had. Or at least he was at first and then kind of. Yeah. And then it kind of fizzled out. But I mean, obviously Texas was also a, a a priority under Todd Graham, but, uh, and then it was California under Herm. Those places are important, but prioritizing a, or Arizona high school athletes and then building around that and then developing your strategy from that point on, I think it needs to be the focus of the next coach. Yep. Well, the next coach they have on this list, if we got him, Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, that would be. See, this is why I'm confused that. about this list. I, I don't understand why coaches – Oregon State has been my favorite team of this season. Like, I love watching Oregon State. I, I may have also won quite a bit of money on Oregon State so far this year. Um, and I'm going to ride that till the wheels fall off. I can promise you that. That's my, my gambling darling this year is Oregon State. But I don't understand. Jonathan Smith has that program in such a good position right now. I don't understand why he would jump ship to go to a worse situation. You know what so I'm what I would say is ASU is a program that has a much higher floor than Oregon State. Like we haven't seen many like one in eleven ASU teams. I mean, we we might see one this year. Probably yeah. not. We'll probably go. I bet we'll go like four and eight. That's where I'm going. But if if you look if you go look on Wikipedia and look at ASU, it's a lot of six and six, a lot of five and seven, eight and four, which obviously gets frustrating when there's never the the peak that we talk about, but there's very, there's a, there's a few losing seasons in the Erickson era. Todd Graham had one and Herm hasn't had any, um, not counting this one. So whereas at Oregon state, yes, Jonathan Smith has it all working right now, but at those types of schools, success like that can be fleeting. Um, okay. I get what you're that's saying. The so argument like, I'm making, um, that makes I sense though. I, yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's an interesting that's an interesting perspective because it's almost like he might leverage the success he's having now to get to a job with a little more stability, which which makes sense. You're right. Oregon State has a has a very low floor, um, and it's not like that floor has you know 
jump significantly. They could have a great year this year, and I think they're going to. That so. USC game is going to be extremely I, – I can't wait to watch that game. Hopefully. Yeah. What time is it? Do you know what time that game's at? You need to know the schedule off the top of your head for when I ask on the uh, podcast. Hopefully it's something I can watch. On I think you'll end. be able to watch it somewhere on mail before the game. I think it's a little bit before the game. I'm excited. I, I love Oregon State. I think they're offensively they're really they're, good. They're yeah. excellent. USC, that's a great over. I think the totals – never mind. I don't want to say that because I think the totals at like 70. Yeah, um, yeah they adjust. Extremely high. Um, yeah. But hey, if you're feeling a little saucy on Saturday, that might be the one to take. Yeah. Anyway, um, I just wanted to quickly run through these other guys. Kalani Sataki at BYU. Uh, if we got him, that would be great. I don't think he's going to leave BYU for us, but he's no. he's legitimized that program a little more. Like BYU, he seems like, like he seems like the guy that is like that program. Like he is that program. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Exactly. So, so like but, guys like that don't just leave. No, but you should make the call. You know. Yeah. And then this. They also have Justin Wilcox from Cal, which Justin Wilcox would be a a low risk move by ASU because he's going like five and seven at Cal. If you can go five and seven at Cal, you can go seven and five at ASU. Uh, but I don't want a defensive coach. You know, I just sorry and or or a coach like Justin Wilcox, who not only is a defensive coach but also is one that like runs a boring offense. You know. Like we we saw Cal against Notre Dame and they they can't move the ball. They they scored twenty points against UNLV the week before. You know, I I know he's a he's like a solid coach, but he's fine at Cal. You know, I don't. Yeah. So, um, some other guys that have been I don't have a list in front of me. I just kind of remember seeing Georgia offensive coordinator Todd Munkin. He's like in his mid fifties, but hey. He's he's recruited in the South, understands the importance of recruiting to some point, and has a kick-ass offense. He also was a head coach at uh, Southern Miss a few years back and was, like, decent, so has head coaching experience. Um, Charles Huff, the guy at Marshall who beat Notre Dame mm. two weeks ago, I would not yeah. mind him at all. Um, there's a guy, uh, Sean Lewis at Kent State. Um Offensive guy, Kent State, like they were like a really bad MAC team, but now they're kind of a MAC team that goes like seven and five. And under him, they just just played somebody kind of tough. I I think it was Oklahoma. They played Oklahoma. They they just I remember like seeing that game at half, and it was like seventeen to ten or something. Right, Kent State. I remember that. No, they're yeah, no, they're a good. They're like a. And he won, like, the first bowl game in Kent State history recently. So, like, um, elevated the program, like, that, like we're looking for here. So that would be an interesting one. More of a Midwest guy, so it doesn't fit perfectly. Uh, we mentioned Jamie Chadwell. I would be totally on board with that. Fun offense. Um, Fun guy, too. Yep. Yeah. 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 I, I, I would love that. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a guy, there's a guy Brennan Marion. Um I don't know much about him, but I've seen him suggested by some ASU people. Uh, I, I think he's like the Texas um, – he's the Texas wide receivers coach. And he got his Is start – Brandon Marin? Uh, Brennan. Oh, Brennan. Marion. Um, he uh, coached at ASU – Offensive quality control assistant, um, 2015. He's he's moved up the list, uh, up the ranks. He was a uh, offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach at Howard, uh, wide receivers coach at Pittsburgh. <coughs> and there's just a lot of good buzz about him. Like, uh, he developed his own offense called the Go Go Offense. Uh, quote which incorporates principles of an old-school triple-option off- offenses with modern spread concepts. That sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that and sounds coach, fun. coach Jordan Addison at Pitt. Um, there you go. Wide receivers coach at Hawaii. Obviously a very uh, offensive 
minded guy. So I think maybe, I think maybe, maybe with him, maybe if you get a bigger name, you can bring him in as the offensive coordinator. Yeah. Oh, he was okay. He was the the guy who led the forty three forty win over UNLV. That's the highest, or that's the biggest upset in college football over the last twenty five years, right there. For what? What, what Howard beating UNLV. UNLV oh, was, right. like a, was like yeah. a, uh, I want to say, like 32.5 point favorite in that game. And Howard won outright, 43-40. So, I mean, that would be, I, I like this guy, just reading about him a little bit. I yeah. think he'd be, I think he'd be really good. I, I mean, is he ready to like, is he at that place where in his career where he'll, he'll start to be considered as like a possible head coach? Which I mean, we'll maybe, I guess we'll but, have to wait and see. Maybe, yeah. um, but maybe he gets an interview. Maybe he wows you. But it's the same. I, I don't think it's bad to go young in college no, football. No, no, especially after. So, no. I I would lean, especially with the last two coaches that ASU has had. Maybe it's not a bad idea last to go three. with somebody who's a little younger. Last three, yes. Yeah, and Todd Graham wasn't old, but he wasn't. He, he was he was middle aged when he came in and he did not have a young energy either. <laughs> like Yeah, no. Like Graham, if he could have had his perfect life, he would be like a drill sergeant in World War Two or something. I don't know. Like he had the haircut for it. <laughs> yeah. So. No, that he, he did have that Sarge haircut. Yeah. That was my favorite part about him. Um so but I mean uh, Marion's kind of in the same boat as Dillingham. Not like a ton of experience, but they you can see the potential in both of them. Um, yeah, I feel like Marion Marion is extremely young. That's the one thing that I think might. Well, Dillingham's like, younger than even Marion, but is he really? During, yeah, Dillingham's like thirty-two. Well, it says right here. Oh wait, I was reading the wrong name. My bad. Oh, I yeah. thought that it said. Yeah, Marion. I thought it said that uh, Marion was a freshman in 2017 on his bio. But I, I misread the name. So I'm thinking oh, okay. he's like 23 years old. I'm like, I don't know, man. This guy's yeah, pretty young. Tough. Yeah, but okay. He's, he's much older than I initially thought he was. Yeah. He's obviously extremely accomplished. I think he'd be a great, a great um, candidate too. Yeah. So, and then one guy that I actually haven't seen listed a bunch, um, but I would like the uh, Ohio State wide receivers coach, Ryan Hartline. Um, Ooh. Former Dolphin, Dolphin kind of legend, thousand yard season in the NFL, and he's he is a lights out recruiter. Um, but he might he, he he might be waiting for something better. I can't really. So. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm I'm sure somebody like Hartline could. I don't know. He could probably hold out for a little bit, become like, you know, like a really coveted uh, assistant who has sort of his pick, but. Yeah. That's another good name. Um, there, there have been a bunch of other guys bandied about. Um, you know, look, like it's it, it sucks. That, like this season isn't going to be a good season, most likely. But it's fun right now because there's just like, ooh, who, there's just speculation of who, who who's it going to be, what are they going to do, you know? Um, and you know, and another thing we haven't touched on really is will Ray Anderson have the final say in the decision? Um, I wa- I saw some of his press conference on Sunday, and it seemed like he didn't really give a clear answer on that, which is encouraging to me because I feel like if Ray Anderson did have full control, he would have given a clear answer. You mm. know, he would have said that I'll be making the decision. So uh, that's encouraging to me, I guess. But we'll see. Who knows? Maybe we'll end up with. Uh, I, don't, I don't even want to throw an old an, <laughs> Eric Mangini as our head coach. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, get Don. Uh, what's his name? Wink. Uh, the guy from the the guy from the Giants. Wink oh, Martindale was our I'm head coach. I'm trying to think of like NFL. Vangio. Jeff Fisher. Oh, that that would be a great Herm guy. I think Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio. Um, Pete Carroll. <laughs> Pete. Okay, look, like I actually think Pete could do a good job. He, that dude has energy still. Yeah, no, he's he's young at heart for offense, sure. He he's forever young. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Well, we haven't talked about the Utah game at all. I think we're gonna lose, but 
Uh, <laughs> hang on, no, like, move, but like not. I, I think it'll be like a game going into the fourth quarter. Hang on, let's let's talk about this because they're a fourteen point favorite right now. Utah. Do you think who? What's your pick against the spread at fourteen points? I'll pick Utah. You're taking Utah minus fourteen. Yeah. See, I kind of want to. 14, like 14 seems like a lot when you're looking at the lines. You're like 14, that's a ton. But all that is is like yeah, college football 21-3 or something like that, which is pretty I, – I, I don't know, man. I'm going to go with the home underdog. I'm going to say ASU covers 14. I say we lose somewhere in the range of like 35-21. Okay. Like I, I think they could lose like something like 35 to like – Actually, never more. Yeah, 35-24, that would be covering. Yeah. Yeah, I think they could pull something like that. I think. And that's you know what? If they lose 35-24, that most likely means that the game was, like, competitive most of the way through. You know? Yeah, if Utah had to score 35 points to, like, put them away. Yeah. Unless, if it starts with, you know, Utah get, being up 28 nothing at halftime, and then it becomes... 35-24, then that's obviously bad. But Then we're going to Miller. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm just hoping for a competitive game, and let's see what Iguano can do. Um, that that wraps up Episode 12 of the Stomp the Bus podcast. Uh, thanks for following along, and let's hope ASU nails this coaching hire. Go Devils. Yeah.